A scripture reading this morning is uh, Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Give you a minute to find that. You can follow along. Isaiah 2, verses 1 through 5. Listen as God speaks his word. The word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. It shall come to pass in the later days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it and many people shall come and say come let us go up to the mountain of the Lord to the house of the God of Jacob that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths for out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem he shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. morning. It's good to see everyone here this morning. It's always so good to worship with each of you. Pray that you all had a wonderful Thanksgiving and that we can carry our thanks into this season of Advent. Uh, some of you saw on Facebook, I got to see Connie McGee over uh, Thanksgiving break, so that was wonderful to see um, her. She's doing really well, by the way. So, uh, But Advent is a season of waiting, uh, but not just waiting like you're waiting around for something to come happen, but rather waiting with anticipation. Right now, everyone's getting ready for Christmas. They've put up the decorations, the tree, right, the lights. All the type A personalities are done with the Christmas shopping already. <laughs> While us type B personalities, you know, we tend to be more creative, so we like to wait until options A, B, and C are gone uh, before we do anything else. So, uh, But everyone, everyone uh, is getting ready in some way, uh, I'm sure, for Christmas. For some of us, though, the preparation is more internal. It's not so much about the decorations, but the emotions around this time of year, right? We've we've heard that the holidays are known for its sadness for people, uh, that it can be a difficult time. And why is that? I think part of it is that there's a battle waging on right now where you have people that, uh, you know, the holidays, I think, tend to get us to dress everything up, right? We stage these happy memories, gatherings with friends or family, etc., And I think for some of these folks, though, they see those pictures and images, and it doesn't really apply to them. It doesn't work. Their memories or visions only point out the losses that they've suffered, or maybe even the pain they've inflicted on others. Maybe they picture the family gathered around the Christmas tree, but minus one. Maybe this vision now includes a strained relationship with a family member or spouse. Perhaps they experience a level of loneliness none of us hope to imagine. Those visions take place while the rest of the world is shouting, you know, be merry, be bright. It's no wonder that some people battle such severe depression around this time of year. And so I think much of the country wants to sweep these negative thoughts under the rug so as not to sully the holidays. But I am grateful because we have a God who recognizes this and speaks to it. And even more than simply recognizing our pain, God promises hope and restoration. This hope is not just that things will be better, 
but that all wrongs in the world would be made right and that all the things broken made new. This hope needs a proper context, though, and just like those who struggle this time of year, acknowledging where things currently stand is an important part of looking forward. We're looking at Isaiah today, specifically Isaiah 2, 1 through 5. However, right before our passage, Isaiah receives uh, a vision of Judah, or the southern part of Israel, and God blasts them for their sins and their transgressions against him and others. And we want to skip ahead to Isaiah 2 because there's a lot of hope there. But I think we need to first acknowledge the truth presented in Isaiah 1, a truth that we try to avoid today, I think. Isaiah tells us that our whole heart is sick, that our lands are desolate and unjust, and that we are deeply hypocritical. We have to confront that first because, uh, for two reasons, really. Uh, Number one, we can't begin to understand what is happening when Jesus comes back. And two, we can't appreciate what is happening, uh, we can't appreciate what is happening when Jesus comes back. So in this season of Advent, it is important to ask the question, what exactly are we waiting for? What are we supposed to be waiting for with anticipation? So there's a lot of things we're waiting for, but I want to highlight five things that I see in the passage today. Technically four, but one of them in the context that I think we need from Isaiah 1. So the first thing we are waiting for is justice. And when I say justice, I mean a righting of all wrongs and a fixing of all things broken. All sin at the end of the day is a form of injustice because it warps what the world should be. God created a perfect world and sin has ravaged it. I don't need to list everything wrong with the world because I think that we already know a lot of these things. We know that the world ain't right. Broadly speaking, though, when sin entered the world, our relationships were all broken. Our relationship with God, our relationship with others, the world, and even ourselves. We're probably most familiar with how our sins wreck our standing with God and with others. Sin is offensive, right? We, whenever we sin, we're wronging someone or something. My personal greed might leave a neighbor without or something like that. And our relationship with the world is strained, right? Adam was told that he would deal with his own sweat and the thorns of the ground. But here in the Midwest, we have to mow our lawns and shovel our driveways. I'm sure I'm not the only one who has wanted to wage war with Mother Nature. But it's a losing battle. Further, our relationship with ourselves is also broken. One of the most fascinating aspects to me of the story of Adam and Eve is just how after they sin, they suddenly felt shame. And so they actually seek to hide themselves because they're no longer secure with who they were. So they hide. When Jesus comes back, he will be coming to clean house before establishing his kingdom. The world is imperfect, but his kingdom is not. And so he will sweep through, ridding the world of all sin and beginning even to recreate everything that was broken in this world. And I think we're so unfamiliar with that type of justice, that uh, at least uh, such a permanent form of justice. Like, if you were to ask me what perfection is, I would naturally say that Michigan beating our rival Ohio State every year, that would be perfection. Right, Bonnie? Uh, But when Jesus comes back, right, he's actually offering something so much more. Uh, Even in my same analogy, it's really more like, Uh, Ohio State being beaten so badly that they shut down their entire athletic program. They're just like, it's done. We can't can't handle it. This is a joke, of course, but there are real injustices that we think about 
that we realize that there, there's no remedy here on earth for it. And any justice that we experience here on earth is temporary and partial. I was reading up on the recent news of the author Alice Siebold. I'm not sure if you caught this or not, but uh, there's a man that was accused of assaulting her. Went to jail for 17 years, and he's been living on the registry for about 20 or more years, working at one of the few jobs that would hire him after that. So he's been working as a garbage man. Turns out, they just discovered in the last couple of weeks that he didn't do it. What does justice look like for that man? He already did his time. He was released back in like 1998. He's lived a good chunk of his life. You could offer this man billions of dollars, but money doesn't buy back time. We all have likely experienced something like that, although to a smaller degree. But some form of wrong that can't be undone. A loved one gone too soon. Maybe some physical damage that has affected you. A lie that people believe about you. But Jesus promises to make all things new. Revelation 21.5. Things we thought were impossible to fix. This man, wrongly accused, will not get justice here on earth. He might get some money. He got an apology. But he's not going to get justice here on earth. But we can be sure that with Jesus coming back in the, in the age to come, that this man will get justice. And all of God's children will, too. We long for this justice, for restoration, so we wait for it. Now we look at our passage and we see the next thing we wait for in Advent. I'll read verse 1 and 2. The vision that Isaiah, son of Amoz, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house will be established at the top of the mountains and will be raised above the hills. All nations will stream to it. So secondly, we wait for reunion. Picture what Isaiah is saying. God's house on the highest mountain above all the hills. Glorious. Streams going up to it. Which is certainly odd, right? We wouldn't think of streams going up a mountain. But if you look closely at this passage and then also at Genesis 2, you'll notice the parallels between it and the Garden of Eden. And what was so special about the Garden of Eden was that God and man walked together. There was no separation. They were together. Sin separated us, but God, through his own love and mercy, is bringing us back to Christ. And he's not just bringing us back as servants or civilians, but as sons and daughters and co-heirs with Christ. His kingdom is coming here, physically on earth, and he will reign over the recreated earth forever and ever. So we wait for that reunion. But who else would join us? The rest of the saints. Everyone that we've lost in the past, everyone that we wish were still here, will also be with us. But there's more. Isaiah continues. All nations will stream to it, and many peoples will come. No, not many people, but many peoples. Right? God in his magnificent creation to create all sorts of different people. And so, thirdly, we wait for harmony. Not only will racism not exist, but each nation will be seen as the careful and majestic creation of God. I've had the privilege of working at a Korean church, uh, which was really my first close look at a culture other than my own. And it was so beautiful to see all the ways 
that their culture influenced how they lived out their faith. Koreans are so community-centered. And so one of the common scenes that I'll never forget was the way that they prayed together. Imagine walking into a sanctuary. There's 300 people sitting together for worship, and they're all praying out loud at the same time for the same things. It's unreal. And each culture has their own unique characteristics that will be on full display in the coming kingdom, bringing ultimate glory to Christ. Each culture with their flaws absent and their strengths totally devoted to Christ. I can't wait for that day. Picture all the peoples of the world, the people of Africa, Asia, South America, etc., right? All the ways each group is vibrant. And imagine what putting all of them together in one space will be like. What a symphony we have to look forward to and that we also get to be a part of. And what will we be doing? Isaiah explains. And many peoples will come and say, Come, let's go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us about his ways so that we may walk in his paths. For instruction will go out of Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And the new heavens and new earth, we will know life everlasting. Not just eternal life, but a full life. So fourthly, we wait now for an abundant life. Most of us have been taught this false idea that we have to gain entrance into heaven and that we do so by blind obedience, right? God says, don't lie, so I better not, or else I won't go to heaven. That idea is wrong because, first of all, all of us are sinful and therefore unable to gain admittance into heaven anyways. Uh, And so we can only gain that through Christ, who perfectly obeyed the law, and he did so for us. But that idea also is wrong because it implies a sense that some of God's laws are only there to test our obedience, that there's no real reason to do it other than God said to. But that's really not how God works. It's not what he's interested in. He has no arbitrary laws. There's a reason for every single one of them. We can talk about Old Testament laws. That was for a a specific people in a specific time. They don't necessarily apply in the same way to us. But even then, there was a reason for them as weird as they may seem to us today. But the simple reason is that all of his laws are the ways in which we can experience life at its fullest. It's a common phrase today for people to seek out their quote-unquote best life. Okay? But what I often find lacking is, uh, or what I often find is that they are lacking in significant ways of what that uh, best life would, would really include. Particularly, there's no balance between what is best for me And what is best for my community? You know, my best life is my best life. It doesn't really matter what what you need. But God's law keeps that perfectly in balance, right? Love God and love others as you love yourself. And all of his ways lead to life. And when we disobey, we are essentially choosing to live a suboptimal life. Sacrifice is unappealing to the eyes. But we hopefully recognize that when we give of ourselves, it can lead to the best things in life. Marriage, parenthood, a sense of reward as we give back to a community, etc. Right? Particularly in parenthood, our son woke up at 3 this morning, throwing up, uh, <laughs> just having an awful time. And so we give of ourselves, you know, I stayed up for two hours with him. But it's worth it to be a parent, to have this as my son was, you know, I wouldn't trade that for anything. 
And in the coming age, all sin will be removed and we will be free from ourselves and the world to experience life to the fullest. It is knowing the wisdom of God and applying it to life. And a big part of that life is that removal of all tension. We lastly wait for peace, as Isaiah so beautifully writes. He will settle disputes among the nations and provide arbitration for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plows and their spears into pruning knives. Nation will not take up the sword against nation, and they will never again train for war. This is perfect peace. Because notice that God isn't just going to make it so that we ignore conflict. Rather, he confronts it, and he deals with it. And there's satisfaction among the people. They accept his arbitration. And so they take their weapons, and they transform them into tools. There's new life when there's no war to fear or to prepare for. Instead, we get to tend to our lives. We're so used to conflict, I think we have no idea what this will feel like. There will be no threats of terrorism, no impending invasions, and even on a more personal level, things like door locks will become obsolete. Why would you need to lock your door in a world with perfect peace and without sin? Right? You can let your kids roam freely without fear. There's no death anymore either, no age to come. There will be no conflict between mankind and death because Christ will have totally vanquished it. Friends, we have so much to look forward to. And Christ is so good to us. We don't know when he is coming back, but he tells us to prepare for it in the meantime. But what does that mean or look like? Isaiah chapter 2 verse 5 says, House of Jacob, come and let's walk in the Lord's light. The Lord's light, it goes back to what I said earlier about life. John frequently refers to Christ as the light of the Lord and then uses that imagery to discuss life free from sin. We ought to live as, as though Christ is here already uh, because he has already laid the foundation of his kingdom and he's already taught us what life in the kingdom looks like. What that means is that we live for justice, seeking to uphold what is right in the world, It means we celebrate diversity in the world, marveling at what God has made and seeking to harmonize with others in order to glorify him. And we seek peace in our lives and lives of others and with our communities. Further, as we are sanctified, Christ's reassurance to us that he has saved us will slowly bring peace even within ourselves. We slowly turn our thinking from feelings of incompetence or of low value to recognizing that God has made us a child in his family and has given us the most glorious inheritance imaginable. This is a world that Jesus returns to, where his children have been working hard to capture the spirit of the kingdom, but resting in his promises as they work. So for those of you who struggle this time of year, take hope. You can acknowledge those harsh realities that you have, uh, that have both been afflicted with, And those that maybe you have afflicted upon others. The wrongs you experience are temporary. And as permanent as they feel right now, God is coming. Our Father is making his home among us once again. And he offers peace and mercy, even as we rebelled against him and sought to harm his loved ones. For those who aren't so sure about all this Jesus stuff, I I just want to invite you to explore further. I do not believe these things because they're beautiful, but... Uh, but because they're true, and that makes them all the more beautiful. 
Jesus died for you, meaning he died so that your offenses against God and against his creation might not be held against you. Through his death, we are saved. Because Jesus rose from the dead, we too can experience resurrection. So I invite you, welcome you, to place your hope in Christ, who will never leave you or let you down, who sees you at your worst and yet still loves you. Scripture says that while we're yet still sinners, Christ died for us so that we may be reconciled to God. So go to him as your true self, not one disguised, and experience redemption for yourself as we await the world's redemption. Let's pray. Father, we come before you humbling ourselves, recognizing that we are to blame for the brokenness in this world. But Lord, also praying for mercy as we have experienced the brokenness of this world from the hands of others. Father, we pray for patience as we wait for justice, for your second coming, where we will be reunited with you. Father, we pray for harmony as we seek to uh, carry out your will, that we would work together to be a, a light um, to be a city on a hill, that others might know you through us. And Father, as we live our lives, we pray that people would come to know the peace that you offer. Lord, that the peace that we live out would be just a glimpse of what is to come in the age to, to come. And Father, we pray that as we do those things, that we would experience that abundant life, that we would experience life to the fullest, 